Galatians chapter 5 is where we're going to be this morning. Galatians chapter 5, last week we walked uh, from verse 1 all the way uh, through verse 15, uh, and today we're going to begin in verse 16, but to kind of give you some background, um, last week the three big things that we walked away with were, one, Paul is urging these believers that, that, that are in and, and a part of the Galatian churches to know that they are free. This is something that he's been urging them to see from the beginning, way back in chapter 1, when he told them that there is no other gospel. And this is what Paul means by that. There is no other good news for life apart from Christ Jesus. That this is where hope and joy is found. It's found in a relationship with God and that our salvation, us living in righteousness, does not come from the things that we do, but instead it comes from the God who has imputed his righteousness onto us through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ as we repent and believe in him. We're saved by grace through faith alone. And Paul has been telling these believers that because there are some enemies, there are these people that are infiltrating these churches and attacking and ultimately saying, if you want to be in, if you want to go to heaven, if you want to have a relationship with God, if you want to be in the community of God's people, then there's something you got to do, and it's this. You need to be circumcised. You need to follow the Mosaic law. Sure, believe in Jesus, but there's also this other covenant stuff that you haven't done. And in order to truly experience love and life, you've got to do these things. And Paul says, no. This is a lie. These things are untrue. You're not saved by works. You're saved by grace through faith. And so he makes this giant appeal, and he shares his story, and he talks about what it means to be justified by faith. He describes that we're adopted into God's family. And then in the last week, we really walked through the, the passage in chapter 5 that starts and basically says these three things. That it's for freedom that you've been set free. In Christ, you are truly free. Not to be burdened by the law. Because these Judaizers, these agitators who've come into the church, they're saying you've got to do the law to be saved. And Paul's saying, no, no, no. That's using the law wrongly. And ultimately, all that does is condemn and reveal your deep need for God's grace. You can't keep the law. In other words, in our words, in modern words, and they're not fun ones, but they are real. You're not good enough. And neither am I. We're not good enough to please God. But thanks be to God, Christ has done it for us. As we walk into this passage today... We get the demonstration of what it really looks like to understand that the Christian life, as we talked about last week, is not one of rules and requirement. This is a giant misnomer. Not only the world thinks this, but sometimes we think this, that well, my life is about these rules, these things that are required of me. No, the Christian life is about response to what God has done for you in Christ. It's a response to what God has done for us in Jesus. And today, we're going to get a picture of that. And to echo what Paul says in chapter 5, verse 13, love is the litmus test of our faith. How we love is going to reveal who we are. So if you will, read with me. This is Galatians chapter 5, beginning in verse 16. We're going to walk all the way through verse thirty or 26, rather, and it says this. But I say, walk by the Spirit. 
And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh, for the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against such things. There is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. This is the word of the Lord to which we say together. Thanks be to God. All right. Big stuff, and Paul takes us to three singular truths this morning we're going to talk about. But I have to start um, with a story about a word that is pronounced wrong. Um, anybody grow up like going to department stores? Like I'm like maybe on the, I don't know what I am. Like I think I'm I think I'm a, they, they say I'm a millennial, but I feel like an old soul. I feel like that's not who I am. Okay. Um, I grew up, and especially with my grandmother, going to department stores. And for those of you that are too young to remember, most of you guys get this. In the next service, we got students in here. They're going to be confused by this, right? Everything's from Amazon, or everything's a store that's specialized, right? But a lot of us went to department stores growing up. And I think a lot, just like a lot of people have a favorite brand, like some people are Coke people, or some people are Pepsi people, or, or Ford, or Chevy, or whatever— I think a lot of people growing up had like their department store that they went to. Like before it was Belk, it was Parisian, right? And there were those Parisian people. Uh, we were maybe a little down the phone pole. We were JCPenney people. Um, but here's the thing. I'll never forget the time that I realized the name of that store. Because my grandmother would always say JCPenney's. JCPenney's. And it rolled off the tongue well, and quite honestly, I thought that made sense, and she was right. And I didn't know until later, after, you know, I read the sign a thousand times, there's no S there. This is not plural. The name of the store is J.C. Penny. Now, here's the thing. When she said, I'm going to J.C. Penny's, I didn't think that she was on tour visiting all the J.C. Penny's in the Southeast, right? I knew what she meant. She was going to that one J.C. Penney that was at, at Eastwood Mall. People do this with Walmart, and it's the wildest thing, right? Like, we know people are like, I'm going to Walmarts. It's like, are, are you going to a lot of them? <laughs> Is the one that's right here at Chelsea not good enough for you? Do I have what you need? Look, we pluralize those things, and those are, those are silly, but it doesn't really change the meaning for us. Like, we know what the person means. There's this word in the text today that Paul makes very, very, very clear should be singular, not plural. It's fruit. It's not fruits. It's fruit. It's not plural. It's singular. 
And Paul does this for a very particular reason. He longs to point out the singular truth that there is no other gospel by which we can be saved. And he does it illuminating some singular things, including that in this passage. Three singular truths we're going to see today. Three singular truths. Here's the first one. We are alive in Christ, not the law. We are alive in Christ, not the law. The second thing, we're going we're gonna to see how to live in Christ, and it's by the Spirit. Third, we're going to see what life in Christ looks like, and it's loving others. These are three singular truths that we're going to see in this passage today. Look into verse 16, and we're going to walk through these uh, and, and get a picture of the things that Paul is desiring to help us see. Paul says in verse 16, But I say, walk by the Spirit. The first thing you want to notice about this is he uses this phrase, But I say. It's a unique phrase. Phrase, he's saying it's really a pivot, it's a shift in direction. It's this I'm telling you, there's a new way to live, there's a new thing to do, there's a new way to be human, there's something new I want to communicate to you right now. This but I say moment would really hearken back to, in so many ways, what Jesus has said in the Sermon on the Mount. You've heard it said, but I say to you, this is a new direction, and Paul is in, in, inherently taking that language, that Jesus language, and pointing these believers to this, that what it means to live is to walk by the Spirit. To walk by the Spirit. So what, what does that mean, walk by the Spirit? Paul's going to use this word walk 30 times in his writings in the New Testament. The Greek is peripateo. It means not just to pick up one foot after the other. It's a way of life. It's a way of living. In fact, he's even saying to the Judaizers that are accusing these people in Galatia that are saying you're not saved unless you're circumcised. You're not saved if you don't keep the law. He's actually saying, you know what? I'm going to do you one better, and I'm going to tell you that you're called to walk by the Spirit, and that walk is the walk that you learned in the Shema. That walk is the walk that you learned that when you walk on the way, this is the way that you live, that you love God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. You love your neighbor as yourself, that you live by the Spirit. And this is weird to us because it doesn't seem like the natural order. It doesn't seem like the natural order of how to live. Because quite frankly, when we think about how to live and to produce good results... We try to fence ourselves in and boundary ourselves and border ourselves and protect ourselves and put up those things at the bowling alley, you know, the bumpers. Like that's, that's what we want to do with our life, right? To keep from going off the edge. We need some rules. We need some regulations. We need some processes, some procedures, some protocols. If we can get all that stuff in place, then we won't gratify the flesh. We'll actually walk in the very spirit of God. We'll follow the voice of the Lord. We'll do what the Lord says if we make some rules. And Paul says, no, you've got it backwards. It's for freedom you've been set free. Obeying rules, keeping things, keeping laws does not make you free. Walk by the Spirit and you'll be free. And then you won't sin. Then you won't rebel against God. Then you won't gratify the flesh. 
Here's the reality. Believe it or not, I'm married. Still there. We're doing it. If I followed all the rules, I know what, I'm, we've, been, we've been in this thing 13 plus years. So not great at it. And those of you that have been married any bit longer than 13 years would say, you know, yep, I, you're not great at this yet. And we're not. But here's the thing. I know my wife really well at this point, it feels like. And that'll continue to grow year after year. But I know the things that she likes. I know the things that she doesn't like. I know the things that irritate her, though there are likely few, right? She's not in here this service. So she gets irritated by some stuff, all right? I know what those things are. And if I made a list and I did all that stuff and I kept all of that stuff and I followed every rule and I did everything and I washed the dishes and I did the laundry and I did all the other stuff that, that she doesn't like to do, and I did all that stuff because I just followed a list. I mean, I did a bunch of good stuff. But it wasn't out of love. I just did the stuff. I followed the rules. Does that mean we're going to have a great, deeper, incredible relationship? I think she's going to be way happier. But the point of doing those things is not, I'm going to do this stuff, and then she'll love me. No, the point is, she loves me, so I want to go do this stuff. My life is a response to the love that I've received. Not a requirement. If I don't do the dishes today, we're going to be married. That's still going to be the case. I don't know how long that can go, but the reality is this. I don't love, I don't care for her, I don't experience life with her because of what I do for her as a list. Paul, this is what Paul's saying. He's saying, walk by the Spirit and you won't gratify the desires of the flesh. Our desire, what we think is I'll, if I'll do the right things, then I'll be right. And Paul says, no, Jesus has freed you. He's made you right when you could never make yourself right. So now go and live. Here's the big thing in verse 16 and 17 that we need to see. There is a war happening. The desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. Here's what Paul is saying, that our life is in Christ. Well, how is he saying that in 16 and 17? He's highlighting the tension that we all live in, that we are both sinners and saints at the same time. What does that mean? Martin Luther, the Reformation, described this way. He, he used this phrase, simul uses epicator. And here's what it means. The simul means simultaneously, at the same time. Eustace, justice, meaning righteous and sinful. So how can we be both righteous and sinful? Remember what Paul talks about in Romans 7? He says, that I don't do the things that I want to do, and I do the things that I don't want to do. Has anybody experienced the Christian life in that way? Yeah, all of us. Yeah. This battle, this war that rages within us. How can I be righteous? Because God has 
given us righteousness in Jesus Christ. It's imputed to us. It is put upon us. Christ has set us free. Listen to what Paul would say earlier in Galatians. He's building towards this. He's saying, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me, who gave himself for me. So what is life? It is still a struggle. It is still a war. But Paul's saying that we've overcome, we have freedom, and we are free now not to sin. And not not to sin in a way that we don't do bad stuff, but not to sin in that we don't rebel against the very heart of God. That's what it means to walk by the Spirit. Look at verse 18. Paul says, if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. What does that mean? What is Paul doing here saying if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law? Look back. If you've got your copy of God's Word before you, look back into verse 3 of chapter 5. He's pointing out, he's saying to these churches, he's saying to these believers, don't you remember that when you take on circumcision, you're not just doing one thing, you're taking on everything. Remember last week we talked about the fine print? Like you sign up for something and you sign up for this thing and you don't see all the things that come with it. This is what Paul was saying to this group of believers. That there's people that are coming and saying, if you really want to be God's child, if you really want to be in the family of God, then you have to be circumcised. But what they're not saying to you is that you got to keep all the feasts, all the festivals, all the days, all the laws. If you want to turn yourself over to the law, then buddy, you got to keep all of it. Every single bit of it. And what Paul is saying in 18 is he's saying this, that if you go back to the law, you're going to be held accountable for everything. For every single thing. And Paul says, and he's going to go on to say, as these hard words come to us, he's going to say, these things are evident. Because when you try to live by the law, when you try to keep all the rules... When you try to make God's law and the regulations that seemingly come with it, that aren't the heart, if you do these things thinking that you'll get righteousness, you will not, and you will fail. And in verse 19, we get some pretty raw examples of this. The works of the flesh, Paul says, are evident. They're obvious. He's like, you want to... Take your life and you want to put it, put it on the scale? You want to see if how you've lived and who you are and things that you've done, every single thing measures up? Let's talk about some of these things. The work of the flesh, because ultimately this is what Paul's doing in his language here. He's saying the work of the flesh. These are the things that you do. This is what we've produced. And it's heart-wrenching. It's broken. It's miserable stuff. But Paul's saying, this is what your flesh produces. If you're going to trust in yourself for salvation, if you're going to try to keep the law, and Galatian believers, if, if you're going to abandon the gospel and go back to the law, remember these things. And he gives this powerful list. Now, here's the thing. Some of these things might seem deeply far from you, and some of those things might be in your heart right now. Some of these things might be things that we struggle with right now. Here is the reality. I used to read this, and how do you think I felt? Read that last line in 21. I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. 
I want to be honest with you as Christians right now. The enemy wants to use something like this to put a seed of doubt in you to say that if I've done these things, then I'm out. I'm not in God's kingdom. God's word says so. People who do this kind of stuff are not in the kingdom of God. Believer, brother, sister, hear me. That is not the intent, and that is not the kind of fear that Paul seeks to help be produce. It can produce fear, if we don't read this rightly, that we're condemned, that we're disqualified. Because look, we've all done one or more of these things. I mean, I don't think I could look at anybody in here who wouldn't say that at some point you've been envious of somebody. You know? Like, here's the, I'm going bald. I'm envious of everybody all the time. I'm like, we've been with these students every Wednesday night. It's killing me, man. All these kids with this full head of hair. Envy every time I walk in this place. Look, here's the reality. We've done these things. If it's not doing the things on this list, we're all out. You know what makes it seemingly worse? This is what Paul says. Those who do such things, you know what the language there really means? It means these and more. But there's more stuff that's not on the list. There's even more. So even if you think you got by this one, which you didn't, you will get found out. But the same guy that writes this wrote these powerful words in the beginning of Romans 8. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So how do you reconcile those two things? How do those two things make sense? Here's the reality. Paul is not seeking to condemn, but he wants to draw us to repentance. Recognition that this way of living is selfish and it doesn't honor God. So there's a healthy fear that can come from this. Not from fearing that we aren't forgiven, but instead to live as those who constantly repent. This is the first of Luther's 95 theses. It's this. When our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said repent, he willed the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. We're going to sin, we're going to struggle, we're going to fall, but we ought to be always repenting. Look, John Calvin helps us in this way. This is what he says. I think this is really, really helpful. This is from his New Testament commentary. For who is there who does not labor under one or another of these sins? He's saying, yeah, who, who makes it through the list? None of us. He says, I reply, Paul does not threaten here that, they sh- that there shall be excluded from the kingdom of God all who sinned, but who remain impenitent meaning those who don't repent. He says that the saints themselves are heavenly burdened, but they return to the way. Because they do not surrender, they're not included in this catalog. All the threatenings of God's judgments call us to repentance, for which pardon is already ready with God for all of us. But if we continue obstinate, there will be a testimony against us. So here's what Paul is saying, and you need to see this really clearly. That word do that's used there, who do these things, is one of present, active, continuous nature. Paul is saying that if this is the character of your life continually and continues to be always, then you've not experienced repentance. You're not in the faith. But there are those of us who have experienced these things, and we've repented. Thanks be to God. He's drawn us to himself, and we recognize the beauty of the cross and the horror of our sin, and we come again and we kneel before the Lord and say, God, forgive me 
for my sin. And believer, you are given, you are granted forgiveness. Now, Paul sets up this really big contrast between the works of the law and the fruit of the Spirit. Works, plural, the things that we do, fruit, singular. All of these things, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, we often see these things as like just ingredients for the Christian life. That like I need a dash of love and I need a sprinkle of joy and I need some of this stuff, right? And that it's character traits. And while these things do embody character that this is not something that I go and I'm going to go get better at self-control this week. I'm going to go do these things. You know why you can't? Because they don't come from you. Look at what the text says. The fruit of the Spirit. Where does it come from? What is its origin? What is its source? The origin, the source is the very Spirit of God, not our works. And this is what Paul is saying. You're free. This is the Christian life. You want to know how you live? You walk by the Spirit. And what he's saying is that it's a lot more passive than we really tend to see. That the Spirit bears fruit within us. This is not stuff that we manufacture, not stuff that we do. Because here's the reality. Anybody who plants things, and I don't plant things, all right? But anybody who plants things knows this, that fruit is a gift. And you may say, well, what do you mean? I planted a tree, or I, I, you know, I planted that apple tree, and I watered it. You are at the mercy of soil and sun, of heat and cold. And I planted this tree, and, I, and I've, I've done these things. I've nurtured it. You didn't do photosynthesis. You didn't. You didn't make this thing happen. You received it. That fruit is a gift. And Paul is saying, you don't understand. The Christian life is not you getting better. It's not you doing more. It's you being with God, experiencing what it means to remain in the Spirit. And the Spirit does these things in you. They happen in you. They're not attributes. They're not character traits that you just pick up along the way. It's singular. There's one origin, one source, one provider, only one who produces this fruit. It's the Spirit, and it's singular. It's all of this stuff together. Not broken out and compartmentalized into a bunch of different things. Here's the other thing. As we, we draw toward the end of this passage, two really big things that a friend helped me see this week. 19 through 21. You look at that list of all of those things, those heinous things, you can really simply characterize them by one thing. You look at the fruit of the Spirit, it can be characterized by one thing. All of that list, 19 through 21, is really going to show you that that's the life of selfishness. Carnal desires, giving in to oneself, no regard for others, hurting others, bad-mouthing others, demeaning others. The life in the Spirit is one of selflessness. All of these things affect the neighbor in a positive way. We're patient with others. We're peaceful with others. We're loving to others. We exercise self-control so that we can care not only about ourselves, but others. This is wild stuff. God does it in us. So how do we do that? 
If, if life is in Christ and not the law, but life is in the Spirit, what does it mean to live in the Spirit? In verse 25, we see this. We live by the Spirit. Let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Man, how do we do that? I hear Paul saying this. Live by the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit. Be in the Spirit. What does that mean? And here's what you and I think. That the Spirit is mysterious. That the, that the Spirit is mystical. And that it's ethereal. And it's out there. And we can't get close to it. We can't touch it. But here is the reality of the life of the Christian. God the Father is transcendent. Jesus Christ took on our flesh, lived here, walked this earth, and now sits at the right hand of God. You know what the Spirit is? Incredibly practical because He lives within us. And we can commune and remain in the Spirit and live in the Spirit and glorify God and Christ the Son. How do we do it? In Ephesians chapter 5, Paul uses this phrase. He says, don't get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. He uses this practical example of drinking this liquid that alters one, that changes one's mind, that changes perception, that ultimately changes everything about a person. Have you ever been with somebody that's drunk? You ever been drunk? I feel well, I didn't think we get a lot of audience participation on this one. You're changed, you're different, you're not yourself. How did you get to that place? Because you were available to it. You made yourself available to it. You put it in you. So when Paul says be filled with the Spirit, he's not saying you got to do this wild, crazy, mystical stuff. He's saying go be with God, the Spirit that lives within you. How do you do that? Jesus tells us, John chapter 16, verse 13. He says, when the Spirit comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. So just as Jesus reveals the Father, so the Spirit reveals the Son. So how do we experience this? We go to these scriptures. And as we see the things that Jesus says, and we listen to him, the Spirit will teach us. The Spirit will transform us. The Spirit will change us. Also, we pray. And this sounds like the simplest Sunday school stuff, but this is life, you guys. This is real. It's prayer. Why? What is prayer? It's going to God the Father through Christ by the very power of the Spirit. Don't you understand? It's the Spirit that takes our prayers. It's the Spirit that intercedes for us in our weakness. It's the Spirit that prays for us and with us. So, I mean, you want to live by the Spirit? Man, be in God's Word and understand the truth that the Spirit will speak to you. Spend time in prayer and keep the commandment of love. This is John 14. When Jesus says that the Spirit, that the Helper is coming, He says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. That's the first thing He says before He tells them about the Spirit. I'll ask the Father to give you a Helper. You know Him, for He dwells with you and will be in you. And this is what Paul says. It doesn't look like these crazy, wild, spiritual things. He says that it looks like love. It looks like not becoming conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. So we're alive in Christ, not the law. We live in Christ by the Spirit. And this is what it looks like. It looks like loving others. 
This is how the whole law is fulfilled. Look at chapter 5, verse 13. Go back and see that this is the end. That the law is fulfilled in Christ and now we live out the gospel in love to one another. And you're like, it can't be that easy. It cannot be loving people. You're telling me that this is the Christian life that's to love people. Yes. A hundred percent. And we've been bought and sold this idea that my job to, to be the Christian is to be in here on Sundays. That that's the totality of what it means. That it means I need to be reading my Bible seven days a week. That it means I need to be fasting. I need to be doing these things. Jesus says, when you're with me, yes, through the word, through prayer, but not out of requirement. When you're there out of response to what I've done for you, because I loved you, because I didn't come to be served, but to serve and give my life as a ransom for you. Oh man, you're going to live out of love. And people are going to see it. This is what Jesus says in John 13. A new commandment I give you that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, love one another. Ephesians chapter 5. Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk. So it's live. It's this. In love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. Man, you want to be gospel people? Believe in the gospel of what Christ has done. There's no other gospel. Live in the reality of this. And we get the opportunity to do this weekly. Man, here's the thing. I want, to do, I want to be very candid with you and tell you something pastors maybe don't really say that often. I've been discouraged over the past few weeks because we've missed a lot of people. Now, some of that's just the nature of the season. Some of it's just like we're, we're every, everybody I know has been sick on some level the past two weeks, right? Every human in this room has probably dealt with it or been near it. And if you haven't, it's coming for you. I'm sorry. <laughs> but here's the thing. I'm not sad because every chair isn't filled to the extent that we need more numbers. I'm not sad for that. I want you to be here and I want to gather with you and live in the reality of the gospel because we're called to love one another. You're not here to come and, and sing a bunch of songs and hear the gospel and leave. You're here to hug one another. To encourage one another, to pray for one another, to care for one another, to be the body. Jesus says, this is what it looks like when you love me. You care for one another. So practically, this week, what does it look like? How do you go care for somebody? How do you love somebody? somebody this morning, like you might need to, you, you do that thing where you like see somebody and they kind of catch your eye and you kind of catch their eye, but you guys make this like covenant bond that you're not going to speak to each other and you're just going to keep going with that, through your day. Maybe talk to one another. Man, maybe go find a community group. Maybe, maybe come near somebody who looks like they're having a rough day and say you want to pray for them. Maybe there's somebody that's new in this room you haven't seen before and you just want to tell them about what God's done in you in this place. Man, how could we love one another this week? As our worship team comes and we draw to a close and we take the opportunity to respond this morning, man... What does it mean to live? Oh, Paul's saying again and again and again and again, we don't live by the law. No, we live by what Christ has done for us. The gospel, the good news of Jesus' life and his death and his resurrection. That's where forgiveness, hope is found. And we do it by the Spirit. It's not this crazy mystical thing. It's the reality that the Spirit of God lives in us and we have the opportunity to truly trust in him, to pray to him, to hear the very words of Scripture and recognize the revelation of who God is by the power of the Spirit. And finally, what does it look like? 
Paxton says this phrase, and I think it's one of the most helpful in the world. It's not easy, but it's not complicated. It looks like loving our neighbors. It looks like caring for someone. Jesus isn't asking you to go memorize every scripture. He's also saying go love every person. (laughs) Because if you know all the scriptures, that's what your life's going to look like. So this morning, we had the opportunity to do that. I want to encourage you to stand. Now, like right now, stand. <laughs> Let's take the opportunity uh, to pray together. Um, we got a really incredible opportunity for a baptism this morning as the Lewis family comes to join. So Jaron uh, and Stacy and Evan and Cameron. Cameron's being baptized this morning. So Stacy went to grab Evan uh, and she's going to go get him. And then we're going to take the opportunity to spend some time pray with them as we continue in worship this morning, baptize them. And then we're going to have your favorite thing, a very quick business meeting to, to build on the budget at the end of this service. If you will, pray with me. Heavenly Father. God, we long to love one another. We long to care for one another. Not just because it's a nice thing to do or a good thing to do, but ultimately, Father, because it's what you've commanded us to do in Jesus. Father, the Christian life looks like love. Father, may we walk by the Spirit resting in what you've accomplished for us. In Jesus' name, amen.